Chapter Nine of Ralph the Heir by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Ontario Moggs. On the following morning, Ralph Newton was in Conduit Street exactly at the hour named. He had not even then made up his mind, but he thought that he might get an extension of the time allowed him for decision. After all, it was hardly a month yet since the proposition was made to him. He found Mr. Neefit in the back shop measuring a customer. "'I'll be with you in two minutes,' said Mr. Neefit, just putting his head through the open door and then going back to his work. Three and one-eighth, Waddle. Sir George isn't quite as stout as he was last year.' Oh, no, Sir George, we won't tie you in too tight. Leave it to us, Sir George. The last pair too tight? Oh, no, I think not, Sir George. Perhaps your man isn't as careful in cleaning as he might be. Gentlemen's servants do get so careless, it quite sickens one. So Mr. Neefit went on, and as Sir George was very copious in the instructions which he had to give, all of which, by the by, were absolutely thrown away, Ralph Newton became tired of waiting. He remembered, too, that he was not there as a customer, but almost as a member of the family, and the idea sickened him. He bethought himself that on his first visit to Conduit Street he had seen his Polly in the shop, cutting up strips wherewith her father would measure gentlemen's legs. She must then have been nearly fifteen, and the occupation, as he felt, was not one fitting for the girl who was to be his wife. "'Now, Mr. Newton,' said Mr. Neefit, as Sir George at last left the little room. The day was hot, and Mr. Neefit had been at work in his shirt-sleeves. Nor did he now put on his coat. He wiped his brow, put his cotton handkerchief inside his braces, and shook hands with our hero. "'Well, Mr. Newton,' he said, "'what do you think of it? I couldn't learn much about it, but it seemed to me that you and Polly got on famous that night. I thought we'd have seen you out there again before this.' "'I couldn't come, Mr. Neefit, as long as there was a doubt.' "'Oh, as to doubts, doubts be bothered.' Of course you must run your chance with Polly like any other man. Just so. But the way to get a girl like that isn't not to come and see her for a month. There are others after our Polly, I can tell you, and men who would take her with nothing but her smock on. I'm quite sure of that. No one can see her without admiring her. Then what's the good of talking of doubts? I like you because you are a gentleman and I can put you on your legs, which, from all I hear, is a kind of putting you want bad enough just at present. Say the word and come down to tea this evening. The fact is, Mr. Neefit, this is a very serious matter. Serious? Twenty thousand pounds is serious. But there ain't a doubt about that. If you mean to say you don't like the bargain and as he said this there came a black cloud upon Mr. Neefit's brow. You've only got to say the word. Our Polly is not to be pressed upon any man. But don't let's have any shilly-shallying. 
Tell me one thing, Mr. Neefit. Well, what's that? Have you spoken to your daughter about this? Mr. Neefit was silent for a moment. Well, no, I haven't, he said. But I spoke to her mother, and women is always talking. Mind, I don't know what our Polly would say to you, but I do think she expects something. There's a chap lives nigh to us who used always to be sneaking round, but she has snubbed him terribly this month past, so my wife tells me. You come and try, Mr. Newton, and then you'll know all about it. Ralph was aware that he had not as yet begun to explain his difficulty to the anxious father. You see, Mr. Neefit, he said, and then he paused. It had been much easier for him to talk to Sir Thomas than to the breeches maker. If you don't like it, say so, said Mr. Neefit, and don't let us have no shilly-shallying. I do like it. Then give us your hand, and come out this evening, and have a bit of summat to eat, and a drop of summat hot, and pop the question. That's about the way to do it. Undoubtedly, but marriage is such a serious thing. So it is serious, uncommon serious, to owe a fellow a lot of money you can't pay him. I call that very serious. Mr. Neefit, I owe you nothing but what I can pay you. You're very slow about it, Mr. Newton. That's all I can say. But I wasn't just talking of myself. After what's passed between you and me, I ain't going to be hard upon you. I'll tell you what, Mr. Neefit, said Ralph at last. Of course, you can understand that a man may have difficulties with his family. Because of my being a breeches maker, said Neefit contemptuously. I won't say that, but there may be difficulties. Twenty thousand pounds does away with a deal of them things. Just so, but as I was saying, you can understand that there may be family difficulties. I only say that because I ought perhaps to have given you an answer sooner. I won't go down with you this evening. You won't? Not tonight, but I'll be with you on Saturday evening, if that will suit you. Come and have a bit of dinner again on Sunday, said Neefit. Ralph accepted the invitation, shook hands with Neefit, and escaped from the shop. When he thought of it all, as he went to his rooms, he told himself that he had now as good as engaged himself to Polly, as good or as bad. Of course, after what had passed, he could not go to the house again without asking her to be his wife. Were he to do so, Neefit would be justified in insulting him. And yet, when he undertook to make this fourth visit to the cottage, he had done so with the intention of allowing himself a little more time for judgment. He saw plainly enough that he was going to allow himself to drift into this marriage without any real decision of his own. He prided himself on being strong, and how could any man be more despicably weak than this? It was indeed true that in all the arguments he had used with Sir Thomas he had defended the Neefit marriage as though it was the best course he could adopt, and even Sir Thomas had not ultimately ventured to oppose it. Would it not be as well for him to consider that he had absolutely made up his mind to marry Polly? 
On the Friday he called at Mr. Moggs' house. Mr. Moggs Sr. was there, and Mr. Moggs Jr. also a shopman. I was sorry, said he, that when your son called I had friends with me and could hardly explain circumstances. It didn't signify at all, said Moggs Jr. But it does signify, Mr. Newton, said Moggs Sr., who on this morning was not in a good humor with his ledger. Two hundred and seventeen pounds, three shillings, and fourpence is a good deal of money for boots, Mr. Newton. You must allow that. Indeed it is, Mr. Moggs. There hasn't been what you may call a settlement for years. Twenty-five pounds paid in the last two years? And Mr. Moggs, as he spoke, had his finger on the fatal page. That won't do, you know, Mr. Newton. That won't do at all. Mr. Moggs, as he looked into his customer's face, worked himself up into a passion. But I suppose you have come to settle it now, Mr. Newton? Not exactly at this moment, Mr. Moggs. It must be settled very soon, Mr. Newton. It must indeed. My son can't be calling on you day after day and all for nothing. We can't stand that, you know, Mr. Newton. Perhaps you'll oblige me by saying when it will be settled. Then Ralph explained that he had called for that purpose, that he was making arrangements for paying all his creditors, and that he hoped that Mr. Moggs would have his money within three months at the farthest. Mr. Moggs then proposed that he should have his customer's bill at three months, and the interview ended by the due manufacture of a document to that effect. Ralph, when he entered the shop, had not intended to give a bill, but the pressure had been too great upon him, and he had yielded. It would matter little, however, if he married Polly Neefit, and had he not now accepted it as his destiny that he must marry Polly Neefit? The Saturday he passed in much trouble of spirit and with many doubts, but the upshot of it all was that he would keep his engagement for the Sunday. His last chance of escape would have been to call in Conduit Street on the Saturday and tell Mr. Neefit, with such apologies as he might be able to make, that the marriage would not be suitable. While sitting at breakfast he had almost resolved to do this but when five o'clock came, after which, as he well knew, the breeches-maker would not be found, no such step had been taken. He dined that evening and went to the theatre with Lieutenant Cox. At twelve they were joined by Fuchs and another gay spirit, and they ate chops and drank stout and listened to songs at Evans till near two. Cox and Fuchs said that they had never been so jolly in their lives, but Ralph, though he ate and drank as much and talked more than the others, was far from being happy. There came upon him a feeling that after tomorrow he would never again be able to call himself a gentleman. Who would associate with him after he had married the breeches-maker's daughter? He laid in bed late on Sunday, and certainly went to no place of worship. Would it not be well even yet to send a letter down to Neefit? telling him that the thing could not be. The man would be very angry with him, and would have great cause to be angry. But it would at least be better to do this now than hereafter. But when four o'clock came, no letter had been sent. 
Punctually at five, the cab set him down at Alexandrina Cottage. How well he seemed to know the place, almost as well as though he were already one of the family. He was shown into the drawing-room, and whom should he see there, seated with Mr. and Mrs. and Miss Neefit, but Ontario Moggs? It was clear enough that each of the party was ill at ease. Neefit welcomed him with almost boisterous hospitality. Mrs. Neefit merely curtsied and bobbed at him. Polly smiled and shook hands with him, and told him that he was welcome. But even Polly was a little beside herself. Ontario Mogg stood bolt upright and made him a low bow, but did not attempt to speak. "'I hope your father is well,' said Ralph, addressing himself to Moggs, Jr. "'Pretty well, I thank you,' said Mr. Moggs, getting up from his chair and bowing a second time. Mr. Neefit waited for a moment or two, during which no one except Ralph spoke a word, and then invited his intended son-in-law to follow him into the garden. "'The fact is,' said Neefit, winking, this is Mrs. N.'s doing. It don't make any difference, you know. I don't quite understand, said Ralph. You see, we've known Auntie Moggs all our lives, and no doubt he has been sweet upon Polly. But Polly don't care for him, mind you. You ask her. And Mrs. N. has got it into her head that she don't want you for Polly but I do, Mr. Newton, and I'm master. I wouldn't for the world make a family quarrel. There won't be no quarreling. It's I as has the purse, and it's the purse as makes the master, Mr. Newton. Don't you mind Moggs. Moggs is very well in his way, but he ain't going to have our Polly. Well, he come down here today just by chance, and what did Mrs. N. do but ask him to stop and eat a bit of dinner? It don't make any difference, you know. You come in now and just go on as though Moggs weren't there. You and Polly shall have it all to yourselves this evening. Here now was a new feature added to the pleasure of his courtship. He had a rival, and such a rival, his own bootmaker, whom he could not pay and whose father had insulted him a day or two since. Moggs, Jr. would, of course, know why his customer was dining at Alexandrina Cottage, and would have his own feelings, too, upon the occasion. "'Don't you mind him, no more than nothing,' said Neefit, leading the way back into the drawing-room, and passing, at the top of the kitchen stairs, the young woman with the bit of salmon. The dinner was not gay. In the first place, Neefit and Mrs. Neefit gave very explicit and very opposite directions as to the manner in which the guests were to walk in to dinner, the result of which was that Ralph was obliged to give his arm to the elder lady, while Ontario carried off the prize. Mrs. Neefit also gave directions as to the places which were obeyed in spite of an attempt of Neefit's to contravene them. Ontario and Polly sat on one side of the table, while Ralph sat opposite to them. Neefit, when he saw that the arrangement was made and could not be altered, lost his temper and scolded his wife. "'La, Papa, what does it matter?' said Polly. Polly's position certainly was unpleasant enough, 
but she made head against her difficulties gallantly. Ontario, who had begun to guess the truth, said not a word. He was not, however, long in making up his mind that a personal encounter with Mr. Ralph Newton might be good for his system. Mrs. Neefit nagged at her husband, and told him, when he complained about the meat, that if he would look after the drinkables, that would be quite enough for him to do. Ralph himself found it to be impossible even to look as though things were going right. Never in his life had he been in a position so uncomfortable, or, as he thought, so disreputable. It was not to be endured that Moggs, his bootmaker, should see him sitting at the table of Neefit, his breeches-maker. The dinner was at last over, and the port wine was carried out into the arbor, not on this occasion by Polly, but by the maid. Polly and Mrs. Neefit went off together, while Ralph crowded into the little summer-house with Moggs and Neefit. In this way half an hour was passed, a half-hour of terrible punishment. But there was worse coming. "'Mr. Newton,' said Neefit, "'I think I heard something about your taking a walk with our Polly. "'If you like to make a start of it, don't let us keep you. "'Moggs and I will have a pipe together.' "'I also intend to walk with Miss Neefit,' said Ontario, standing up bravely. Two's company, and three's none,' said Neefit. "'No doubt,' said Ontario, "'no doubt. I feel that myself.' "'Mr. Newton, I've been attached to Miss Neefit these two years. I don't mind saying it out straight before her father. I love Miss Neefit. I don't know, sir, what your ideas are, but I love Miss Neefit. Perhaps, sir, your ideas may be money.' My ideas are a pure affection for that young lady. Now, Mr. Newton, you know what my ideas are. Mr. Moggs, Jr. was standing up when he made this speech, and when he had completed it, he looked round first upon her father and then upon his rival. She's never given you no encouragement, said Neefit. How dare you speak in that way about my Polly? I do dare, said Ontario. There. Will you tell Mr. Newton that she ever gave you any encouragement? Ontario thought about it for a moment before he replied. No, I will not, said he. To say that of any young woman wouldn't be in accord with my ideas. Because you can't. It's all gammon. She don't mean to have him, Mr. Newton. You may take my word for that. You go in and ask her if she do. A pretty thing indeed. I can't invite my friend Mr. Newton to eat a bit of dinner and let him walk out with my Polly, but you must interfere. If you had her tomorrow, you wouldn't have a shilling with her. I don't want a shilling with her, said Ontario, still standing upon his legs. I love her. Will Mr. Newton say as fair as that? Mr. Newton found it very difficult to say anything. Even had he been thoroughly intent on the design of making Polly his wife, he could not have brought himself to declare his love aloud, as had just been done by Mr. Moggs. "'This is a sort of matter that shouldn't be discussed in public,' he said at last. "'Public or private, I love her,' said Ontario Moggs, with his hand on his heart. 
Polly herself was certainly badly treated among them. She got no walk that evening, and received no assurance of undying affection either from one suitor or the other. It became manifest even to Neefit himself that the game could not be played out on this evening. He could not turn Moggs off the premises, because his wife would have interfered. Nor, had he done so, would it have been possible, after such an affair, to induce Polly to stir from the house. She certainly had been badly used among them, and so she took occasion to tell her father when the visitors were both gone. They left the house together at about eight, and Polly at that time had not reappeared. Moggs went to the nearest station of the Midland Railway, and Ralph walked to the Swiss cottage. Certainly Mr. Neefit's little dinner had been unsuccessful, but Ralph Newton, as he went back to London, was almost disposed to think that Providence had interposed to save him. "'I'll tell you what it is, father,' said Polly to her papa, as soon as the two visitors had left the house. "'If that's the way you are going to go on, I'll never marry anybody as long as I live.' "'My dear, it was all your mother,' said Mr. Neefit. "'Now wasn't it all your mother? I wish she'd been blowed fussed.' End of chapter 9 Recording by Arnold Banner, Thurmond, North Carolina